everyone welcome to rz two cents here's another episode uh this time i'm honored to be joined by another new guest uh james uh and uh currently uh james is a uh, business analyst and uh, uh formerly uh, another fellow cornell graduate uh recently we've having a lot of uh, uh cornell graduates in ithaca we call it the ithaca big three on then uh, james is the second guest and uh uh, different from the first one, where we talk mostly regarding uh, engineering and the natural science topics, this time we'll talk about uh, my favorite topic, at least uh, that's what I do and spend the most time on, is uh, finance and markets. And uh, uh, with this episode, hopefully we'll cover um, macroeconomics, microeconomics, uh, the stock market, current states, uh, business, investments, um, enterprise analysis, all kinds of things. So. Um, welcome, James. Uh, do a short introduction of yourself, and uh, it's my honor to have you on the podcast. Awesome, awesome. I'm excited. Um, so last time I did extensive ones like this sort of Q&A interview style-ish was uh, March 2020 and May 2020 uh, with my co-host Roy. Uh, we did, I think, three to four episodes in a row back to back to back uh, during that turbulent time in the markets. And uh, two years later, who knows, we'll be back at a similar state or different, but um, glad to be doing it. So fire away, James. Uh, whatever you got, I will try to uh, give it my best uh, answer in the world diving into discussions together.
Yep. Okay, so um, I will, before going to the specifics, um, I would like to ask a question for James first. Uh, which one do you want me to touch on first? Let's say you, the original question we discussed on text in, in group chat was always fascinating um, discussions with you. Uh, I think we talked about, you said Apple, Amazon. Uh, I will give me one specific company and I'll start there. I give my broad view as well. Okay, got it. Mm -hmm. Got it. Perfect. Okay. So, um, a couple of things here. So, I think there's three points uh, we will discuss and I will address. One, interest rates. Two, energy prices. Three, a great business doing this uh, change, right? So, uh, inch, I would like to, um, as, 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 as I think, um, to go back to the origin of things that uh, this was quoted by Buffett, by Warren Buffett, um, during one of the Berkshire annual shareholder meetings. And he quoted, uh, somebody a block, even though he's 92 years old, still 92 years old, young, uh, that uh, he was quoting somebody that's much, much older by Aesop in 600 BC. That's the original equation for all kind of things, investments, which was extremely interesting to me and still profound till today. So the question was, a bird in hand is worth touring the bush. That's the statement, actually. It's not the question. A bird in hand is worth chewing a bush. So what does that mean? Uh, he's talking about how all investments, the goal is to lay out capital today or time. Okay. We're talking about, I'm, I'm talking about the broad definition, including like building a relationship or friendship, uh, building a relationship uh, romantically or something that you're spending time with someone, right? Or parenting. Okay. Uh, so that's a currency as well. But today we're not going there. We're shifting investments in the capital sense. Okay. Then, um, so we're talking about today, if you have a bird in hand, how much, how many birds you will get in a bush is worth that. So he's saying the only factor in 600 BC that Aesop did not discuss was interest rates. Is that how much are you getting paid for the bird you have in hand today? So that I lead to my favorite example of a chicken farm. Okay. So supposedly you and I have a farm together. And we have, let's say, 10 chickens. And they produce two eggs, let's just say, per month, per week. doesn't matter what the number is. We can just do, just say they're super slow and they do it on a yearly basis. So we get 20 eggs this year, right? Um, but the question is, what is the interest rate on our current money that, let's say, we can buy chicken, more chicken for like, you know, four bucks each or something, then we expand the farm, then however... Uh, that goes in the egg price in the future, then it becomes all complex equation. But nevertheless, the same as all business operates. You have profits, you have uh, new investment cycles, you have bottom line, you have cost, you have all these things, right? So if the interest, if the current return on your money is pretty high, let's call it like a 15%, some outrageous amount, uh, which did happen in the 80s, okay? Then therefore, people, if let's say, and your money doesn't depreciate as quickly, let's say even in today's super high inflation rate at 9, 10%, uh, for most developed markets in the world, like American Europe, uh, if you're getting 15% savings account, 
how you are making 5% net to net return pre-tax, after tax, maybe a little bit less. But the point is, uh, then you're probably not investing much into anything that doesn't return you like 22% or 23% at a high probability, right? So the math here uh, seems complex, but to break it down, it's pretty simple. It's how much you have now, how much a guaranteed rate. So we use, we typically, so here for the uh, for people who are not familiar with it, we use government bonds because government supposedly, they, uh, as they prompt, risk-free as they promise uh, and what but people ask this first principle question so i i want to uh be about this, this for for every single audience out there is that why is government bond risk-free first of all well because government guarantees they will take your money from what taxes so they guarantee will give you money if you buy their bonds so that the contract is actually uh balanced on both ends if any if I mean, there's a lot of governments who don't do that like a Turkish government or Argentinian government, uh, then you don't buy. Then you don't want own the currency. You don't buy their bonds either. Also, you might want to move out of there so you don't pay their taxes, right? Because they only hold one end to their bargain to take away your money, whenever you have income, right? Because well, what then we go even more first principle, which which I think is essential, and then you'll notice that's my thinking pattern all throughout. Why would they charge you taxes just by you living and breathing there? Isn't like the air the on earth like it's all that i mean it's created by whoever before us or god or whatever the case may be and then why does argentina air cost let's say a little bit more and the u.s costs a little more than stuff well because they provide you uh right to private property in most countries uh in the world uh excluding one with 1.5 billion people but that's a story for another day or um the, and at the same time, they provide you military protection, right? For somebody who come take your land. So literally, if like speaking, let's say Canada want to attack the U.S. and want to, let's say, occupy our homes in North Carolina, then they cannot do that because government actually, the taxes goes to the military who protect you. Okay, so we've got that sorted out. Why would we pay taxes? And there's many, many other reasons. And people argue, can argue all the in, in politics about how much should we pay? What's the percentage or whoever? Okay, that's for their job. So the point is we pay taxes. So, and they hold you to that. Then we hold them to, the bonds, the money they want to borrow from us is risk-free uh, because they guarantee they will pay you. And uh, out of all the re biggest reputation in the world, the United States Central Bank, it's called the Federal Reserve, founded in early 20th century, uh, holds to that golden standard. Therefore, U.S. is the reserve currency, so forth, blah, 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 blah. So reserve currency, meaning global reserve currency, as in not only the uh, United States people in the U.S., 400 million people, would put their savings in the currency of the U.S. dollar. But at the same time, a lot of other sovereign uh, governments and a lot of other enterprises in other countries and other citizens, private citizens in other countries would hold U.S. dollar as an asset. Uh, an individual in Singapore, a sovereign wealth fund in Norway, an insurance company in Japan, they could hold U.S. dollar as well. So we're good on that, right? So then if the U.S. dollar, then since we established the status of U.S. dollar as the king, it's blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, and like all kings, uh, people always prom promise the demise of a king, but until the king actually gets taken down, nobody has ever seen the demise yet. So that's where, where it is now. Uh, uh, okay. So with that, uh, if the U.S. dollar pays people, uh, let's say at a 1% interest rate, and people are seeing uh, how inflationary, let's say, an environment could be at, let's say, 10% inflationary or deflationary at 0%. Goods price don't go up. Then the 1% is extremely attractive for people when the environment is deflationary and the goods price don't go up. Like about rent, food, energy, they're all the same versus last year, let's say. 
Okay, but the government pays you 1%. They're like, ah, I'm super safe, super conservative. I'm 89 years old, you know, already retired 20 years. And my children take care of long, then I sh- that's, that's okay. I'll just have that 1%. But if the inflation is at 10% or something, and the government still pays you 1%, uh, it's a headache for not only for individuals, but for companies, right? So we established that. But also your required return is much, much higher because the Federal Reserve sets in, in order to tame inflation. So here, there's I don't want to jump through that. So the, the key point here is because they want to tame inflation, they want you to have, they, they want to have a high savings rate, let's say 9 to 10% with inflation 9 to 10%. Then what happens is people want to put their money in the bank lenders have higher uh, lending cost and borrowers have a higher borrowing cost then the demand of purchasing goods goes go down and what happens in inflation eventually it drops right it's 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 basically you, you suppress the demand side of the curve okay so and we're going very technical macroeconomics here and since i'm not a macroeconomics expert uh, i've said it many times on record so i'll stop right there so the point is so that's interest rates so what does it matter again uh because it's basically the rate that uh, large institutions and private citizens, as they should, to evaluate uh, the return on their money. And uh, uh, this is the same applies to people investing in real estate, have a property with income as rent. And to to touch on your third point, the m- most importantly for companies, people think of them, people think of stocks as stocks as a piece of paper, but they're ownership of a company. But a company's income is the profits they earn, correct? Versus, let's say, you invest in real estate and a property uh, charges rent, so forth. Okay. Then, energy prices, um, how, how does that play in equation? I'll add that towards the end, actually. So then we talk about businesses. So you want to talk about Amazon. So <clears throat> do great, uh, there are actually two separate questions here. Do great businesses suffer through inflationary periods? Uh, then we have to define what is a great business. And the second question is, does Amazon suffer through inflationary period? Or we might find out through the, through the definition of it, is Amazon a great business? Okay. So this is uh, my favorite part of at least this part of the topic, but uh, it also gets quite complex because Amazon is big. Um, let's say uh, it has at least about, five, in my personal opinion, have five uh, categories of businesses that operate. And it's quite uh, interesting. So they have AWS. They have, um, well, that's Amazon Web Services. Uh, for those who don't know. Then we have Amazon.com, which is a retail branch uh, that you can buy goods from online and they ship to you. Okay. Um, and we have Amazon Prime Video, which you can watch the movies they made. I'm talking about uh, original ones that they make themselves. Uh, in, and they rent you some other uh, rights of the uh, media content that other company media companies make as well. So Amazon Prime is like three, okay. Fourth, they have a uh, devices business that they make their own hardware device, like Alexa, like a Echo, like uh, uh, I believe there's a new, uh, I think it's a beta, uh, you can request to buy a, a in-home robot kind of thing. So you have that, so they sell you devices, kind of like Apple sells an iPhone. Then fifth, um, they supposedly uh, to have some lower orbit satellite compete with Starlink, and that's more a little bit more uh, technology for the future. But you know, it's it's definitely useful for people who have Wi-Fi and other things now. And uh, to not to miss out on too many uh, other b- 
businesses that they want you to focus on that they uh, that you think they're supposed to have. Uh, even though I think AWS and retail are the main, the main thing, we have the Amazon quarterly news report here. And they want to tell you they have. I think I've covered it all. That's pretty much it. Amazon Web Services, Ring, yeah, Ring, including the device, I think uh, you have Ring Home. Yeah, that's it. Cool. So, uh, Why do I or I don't I? It seems okay. Mm. Oh, you, you, so so basically, uh, it seems like you're suggesting I sh uh, most people don't or most people do. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. Got it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, for for me, it's actually quite similar approach there. I just want to mention it so I don't uh, forget anything they're working on. But yes. So in general. So and also, uh, like actually, what I do in uh, our private friends uh, get together conversations, I will drive the conclusion first, and then we'll dive back to the to the. Um, to the reasons why. So James asks, is Jam Amazon a business worth investing or does it get better through this inflationary environment or uh, are great businesses suffer through inflation appears or not? Okay, so the first question for Amazon specifically, it's actually no. The, sec uh, the answer for the second one, are great businesses the best thing to do or to one for one to invest in, hold money in through a inflationary environment? The answer is mostly yes. So I'll give you some uh, good um, examples of the latter, uh, what kind of other businesses versus Amazon uh, that will do very well and why Amazon doesn't. So the the first part, so Amazon, um, the problem with uh, ICE, I'll, I'll, I'll attack the weakest point. Okay, so the weakest point is um, the entertainment part. So I'm just going to name a few. You have Amazon Prime, you have Apple TV, big big money, big backers, Apple has a lot of on the balance sheet too, actually a lot more uh, for ones to look into it. Uh, I think about 120 billion in cash, probably has 200 at this point. And they pay a dividend, they do the stock buyback here, and Amazon doesn't do either. And um, Amazon has a lot of lease obligations on the balance sheet uh, and have a lot of debt because uh, the lease obligations are debt. So, uh, 
So we have Amazon Prime Video, we have Apple TV, we have HBO Max, we have Peacock, we have Paramount Plus, we have Netflix, we have Hulu, we have Disney. We can go on and on and on. You know, Showtime. So the problem is, um, there is no magic in terms of one company that can make good content versus the other. Uh, you can say once being the industry for a while, they have a certain know-how like Netflix, uh, but just throw money at things. Don't make people just to watch it, right? Um, personally, I'm a reasonable big fan of Lord of the Rings, and I enjoyed the last se- the, the you know season of uh, Rings of Power. Um, but a lot of people don't, and uh, it doesn't uh, turn into a lot of direct revenue. And so, without debating about which can Amazon make good shows, that's not even the point. The point is the business model does not turn into direct revenue. Why does it not turn into direct revenue? Is because it drives prem. Their goal is to drive prem membership goals, growth. In North America and Europe, mostly, right? Because that's where they penetrate it. Unlike, which I'll bring up great business in us later in a second, unlike Google, which is everywhere, uh, besides, um, let's say, mainland China, or Apple is everywhere, literally, including mainland China. But Amazon is not in South Africa. Amazon is not mostly not in India, which is another, you know, 1 billion people and stuff. So they want to drive prime membership growth in Europe and the United States, okay? Uh, by having entertainment offerings and prime shipping. But prime shipping is already a beast, as in you, you get your goods mostly in two days, a lot in one day to these days now, most things in one day, because they have so much fulfillment center, uh, capacity there, especially in the U.S., and some things within the same day. So by paying $16 or $13.99, whatever the number is, I think annually it's about $130 for most households to get uh, their goods delivered on time, uh, that's already quite a bargain to pay. Think about the fuel cost that's charging. So here, we actually, we touched on your second thing you mentioned earlier, uh, energy costs and inflation environments. A service-driven company. So, so here's the real juice here. So I'm, I'm, this is like sort of, um, I'm diving into the core of, of what we do at Pure Value Capital. So the, the, the real juice here is that you have to define a company. What do they actually do, right? They tell you a lot of, so we cover sort of the rudimentary stuff, AWS, Prime Video, Retail. Are you a service company or your product company? Are you a premium product company or are you a commodity product company? That's basically, there's maybe one or two few categories out there and some companies have both. That's describe all the business in the world from your pizza joint down the street, your coffee, favorite coffee shop in the morning to Amazon, to Apple, to Google. Okay, Amazon, it's a, at the core, a large service company based on a subscription-based model, right? So especially for the retail part that including entertainment. So the problem is that they, in a super supreme inflationary environment, the last, you know, at least the biggest in the last 15 years, and most data actually point back to the pre-80s. And as we read it, I'm sure everybody reads the headline um, from macroeconomics and high inflation rating 40 years and 35 years, blah, blah, blah. So they cannot adjust their output uh, as, they, as how much they charge you versus their input cost. Or you can reverse say they cannot adjust how much they're taking from you, from customers, as how much they have to pay out to their suppliers to get the goods delivered to you. So think about a process of going from uh, a fulfillment center logistic, paying the drivers, uh, wages go up, a uh, fuel prices are crazy. Last year, $50 a barrel. This year, $100. Uh, remember two years ago, it was $0 a barrel for oil? So basically, it was negative. Like, you don't, like gas doesn't cost anything uh, for an extreme short period of time but sure it's mainly $30 a barrel um, in 2020 and now it's you know well over 100 early 
in a year you're doing Ukraine war, it's 120. So the point is they can't adjust that, but they increase your prime membership by like 10%. Uh, so as consumers, we get an incredible deal on the logistic fulfillment alone. That's why we go back to where prime entertainment, I think is a problem. It's because you burn a lot of cash for drive membership growth that you already dominate in logistics. So if I were, so here's a quick tip here. If I were any, any Jassy, the current CEO of Amazon, I'll charge two things, prime entertainment, prime logistics. You'll pay for both. You want to watch the show? Cool. $9 a month. Not crazy. Everybody else charges you $9 anyway, right? Um, HBO Max charge you a 17, Netflix 19, right? So let's say our show is half as good or just as good. I think they're just as good. Um, then you charge them specifically for that. The ones who don't, don't pay for it. And you already have their payment method. This is also another uh, important thing, but now it's well understood by Silicon Valley and because the last 10 years and how things progress in the payment industry. I think we talk about this during our private uh, get together in, in Chicago. The friction of having your card on file and not having your card on file. If you give them additional option for the rich existing prime member to say, you have to pay another $9 a month just to watch our videos. You click one click, you restore their credit information though. They buy everything on Amazon, every other things. Well, now you have another full another income stream. Most of them will click say yes. And the third thing why uh, they should split prime entertainment to prime logistics is that not everyone has a prime account. What do I mean is this? Do you have your own YouTube account? Do you have a girlfriend have her own YouTube account? Her own though, not yours. Okay. Do you have your own Spotify? Yeah. She has her own. Maybe you guys share a family plan, but it's her own account. Your own Instagram? Her own Instagram. Your WeChat, her own WeChat. But Prime for a household, there's like four or five people for a household for most families. They only use one. So guess what? Your drive membership growth right now is at 200 million. For uh, a age declining you know, demographic uh, Europe, plus a 400 million household in US, but it's really 100 million, uh, 400 million people, but it's really 100 million households. Where is the incremental TAM, total addressable market, right? That's the, 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 we're tapping the potential of that, unless you are talking about India and China, which don't have access to. So uh, to me, out of the classic, let's say the five big tech of the last 20 years or so, I think Amazon has got the biggest problem because um, they have, um, so, so, so we mentioned that reason of being a service company, input doesn't adjust the input price fluctuates. Inflation meaning upwards, fluctuates upwards crazy, and but they don't they don't charge you uh, because in order to return, I do think there's right right strategy, but to retain to retain long term customer loyalty, they don't charge you adjust it as quickly, right? But a second reason out of the five, let's say the classic huge internet companies for the last twenty years, why they're in big trouble, I personally think, and I pointed this out. Uh, well documented last year in my show letter and, and even uh, a little bit about eight, eight months ago was they are at the crossing this crossing this intersection between the world of atoms and the world of bits. Bits can scale infinitely. Whenever the kids in Africa ha have access to some sort of mobile device or a laptop, any country, they will need to, they want to find out, um, let's say, for a 13-year-old girl, when will she have her menstrual period? She Googles it. Guess what? She Googles it. A guy want to find out, can he go to from Africa to the United Kingdom for college? Uh, how does he apply for a visa? He Googles it. It scales infinitely everywhere. Right. However, for Adam's business, you have to establish your supply chain, establish your distribution center, establish a totally different ballgame. 
And at the income level, does it justify for you to build up about the country specific income level or other things to build up a huge fulfillment center there and to build the same brand? This is, and also entertainment, specifically in the movie and the TV show uh, content form. It does not scale globally as well as, let's say, music does. That's a whole other topic I can, I'm happy to dive into later if you want to ask about Spotify or other things. Uh, well, very, hard, very happy to do that. But it's easy to see why a kid uh, grew up in South Africa doesn't want to watch the new show Jack Ryan, which I might appreciate. It's like a CIA guy, right? A trained in comics. And I saw that on t- today's, I was watching using the Prime Video app today because what? They signed exclusive licensing with uh, NFL on Thursday Night Football. I got to watch some Tom Brady, even though the boy lost. But the point is, uh, they ran an ad there of Jack Ryan looks great for a American based taste like mine uh, to enjoy watching these shows, but kids in South Africa might not. So all in all, uh, we pointed out one of, we spent a lot of time on one of the sectors, which is biggest ones, um, actually two of them, uh, Amazon retail logistics and Amazon entertainment. I think they need to charge separately. That's the way I'm sort of already jumping into uh, offering a solution here. But uh, currently as currently structured, they are not um, in any sort of fashion to, to make money from that. And then well, I'm happy to dive into, if you want to go on AWS and the other, and the Alexa and other devices, uh, I can do that as well. Um, but, or if you want to move on to the other ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Can I add something here? Right, 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 right. Can I add something here? So I want to give a seemingly much smaller company. Starts with an A as well. So not Apple, much smaller company, uh, but still global scale. And think about how that compares to Amazon as a business model and a completely inflation environments. And, and I think this will consolidate and finalize the point. Airbnb. Think about how, okay, it's a product company, service company. Oh, okay, it's a platform. Yeah. So this is what happens. Uh, if the landlord says, oh, guess what? You want to come spend your European summer? Uh, you know, inflation is like freaking 10%. The maintenance cost of cleaning. I mean, it's last year I was charging you with 300 bucks for a night in Italy. Now I'm charging you 420, 450. And if people want to pay for that, they do. And where is the, where does, how does the Airbnb make their money? By a 13% take rate as a service charge. So, this naturally goes up as nominal inflation goes up. And what's their cost? They use the same amount of engineer, maintain the same amount of service. So be it. And they're done with it. They don't have to deal with the distribution, the delivery, the all those things are product. I mean, they have guidelines and policy to maintain a customer experience, all these kind of things. But they are not as much as a, uh, to use a Chinese word here, like a baomu, as, as Amazon, where they have to pay for everything and, and, and sort of cover everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes.
Mm-hmm. And this ties back to your first question on interest rates. What, what, why did Amazon become the one of the largest companies in the world and grew, I think, before, let's say, if we take out 2022, 2021, 2020, if you should go back to 2019 when uh, Mr. Bezos was still CEO and when he was uh, still happy to marry to McKinsey uh, on a personal note. But the point was, uh, if you go back to 2019, so pr- from the era, let's say, pre to he famously moved from uh, – D. Shaw, actually, from our world, from from the headphone world in the, in New York in the nineties, ninety four, to move to Seattle in nineteen ninety four to uh, start Amazon.com, and ninety seven was the year they really started getting traction, going public, I believe, in ninety seven, and he wrote the first show about it. So from ninety seven to twenty nineteen, that's that's a long time as well. In another twenty two years, uh, they compounded per at about thirty five percent, some crazy compound uh, CAGR rate, and people made loads of money, a uh, couple thousand uh, percentage in the stock uh, was because during that era of relatively low, especially from 2009 to 2019, that uh, zero interest rate environment, that QE1, QE2, QE3, uh, and for those who are interested in history, just look into the, 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 the history of global financial crisis and, and Bernanke's actions in QE1, QE2, and Janet Yellen in QE3, QE4, uh, that's worthing, uh, worth a conversation itself and, and further research there. For the ones who are interested, uh, that so, so during that era, the cost of capital is extremely low. It's basically zero. So then your storytelling becomes your greatest asset. As an extraordinary founder, Jeff Bezos basically tells everybody, "Okay, look, you're going to land us money at very cheap prices. We're going to use this money to basically acquire every single um, foot of of retail that we can. That we're not going to do retail. We're going to do fulfillment center, and we're going to optimize this structure extremely well. And there's some so many things that that naturally e-commerce is better than in-person retail. Absolutely, for elderly generation, senior communities, they don't want to carry 50 pounds of grocery every day. Of course, deliver to your door. Two, their checkout process again. They store your card. The friction becomes low, so you buy more things. Three, you can do reviews, right? Amazon. I mean, now it seems so simple. I mean, you're supposed to have a product review. I supposed to read about if I buy a headphone from you. Uh, I supposed to know like you know did uh, did Tom like it? Did James like like did everybody else like it? If you say oh this thing comes in crappy box, so but but they were the ones who started actually having online review, right? So there's a lot of natural advantages that I'm sure people can think of a lot more. The e-commerce for traditional retail. So they're saying, let us build out this. But but he also understood the key was to build delivery speed because the only thing that in-person retail does not uh, lose to or that beats always beats e-commerce is the instant gratification of you buying something and take it home with it. Right. So they're saying, if I get this faster, because imagine if it's 140 days. Let's. I mean, it's not ridiculous to say it takes a half year to ship something that we think of from, let's say, uh, EU China to the US. Then you drop it to 14 days. That's still a lot. Still a lot of time. Still a lot of time. People want to use it. Uh, then it's like three days, two days, one day. Okay, people are like, all right, you know what? Order something Monday, comes in Wednesday, kind of forget what it is and open the box as a surprise anyway. So he had this great storytelling ability to basically uh, borrow cheap capital from Wall Street and to fund this large enterprise. And it works really well during that era. It just uh, now with there's a real cost to the money, four and a half percent. Uh, with a 10-year uh, U.S. risk-free way we talked about before. It's quite difficult to continue to build it out uh, with, with one, it's it sort of past the S-curve, that classic S-curve where you take traction from 1 million subscribers to 10 million to 100 million. That's, that's the time where people 
want to throw you the most amount of money, your stock appreciates, people, uh, employ, and think about this with overall morale, right? This is the whole psychology thing, the animal spirits, uh, Robert Schiller from, the, uh, from, from Yale, uh, Nobel Prize winner, talk about this in his book, is that the whole thing, employee morale is high. They want to join the newest, the hottest thing. They come to you, uh, your stock price go up, Wall Street invest more, your storytelling gets better and better, you write more shareholder letters, and uh, um, people, uh, you, you cross the chasm. Basically, you go boom. But then what I see currently now is that without tapping India and China, there's a fixed amount of households, again, not population, households, that they can reach. Unlike you know other services, you literally have people. That's why you have households that you can reach with Prime membership, and you offer so much. It's such a good deal for a consumer to pay sixteen dollars a month to watch all the shows that they make just for you, and get your boxes here in a day. Well, guess what to do with the business? So uh, to wrap up on Amazon specifically, I'm sure we have many more to cover. It's um the the exact number. Okay, let's just say that for the last quarter. Uh, the free cash flow, how much money they lost, uh, free cash flow in, free cash flow out, is $19 billion. And for Q2, was even more. It was like, I think it's like something 30. Total for the last 12 months, I believe they lost about $50 billion in free cash flow uh, that goes out of the door. So it's been a lot of money losing business actually since COVID for two years now. So there's a lot of problems here. I think uh, eventually, and if they do make a business, big business model change though, think about what does that, that's why the Fed has to, sort of break their mindset of inflation is that think about what, what, what that does for, for people, their cost of, it is good for the business to change it in prime logistics, but the cost of our lives just go up even more with, if you want both, if you want to watch the shows and do that. And if you charge your proper price logistics, then that's why when companies adjust, they not only cut some cost, people lease agreement related, to protect their bottom line, they also raise prices, and that into an inflation or spiral. The psychology gets crazy. That's why the Fed kind of has to break it, uh, in that sense. So, anyway, uh, sorry for going off on tangent, but Amazon's a phenomenal example, and and indeed one of the best founders of our time and one of the most iconic companies of our time. But uh, it is uh, because it has so many components. It's can I can. Uh, I, I can never say it's a lousy business itself. AWS has 30% operating margin. It's a whole other business, and a lot of things work there. Um, but all, Amazon Retail and Amazon uh, Prime Video, it basically right now just sucks money out of the air.
Yes. And 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 as far as the quality of the business, um, the answer might when when the when Buffett famously had a saying when the tide goes out, we'll see who's swimming naked. I don't think Amazon completely swimming naked, but um with not too much clothes on. What I mean is this is as in um the quality of business now we have come to realize probably just not that good to begin with. That they are a low margin um as Jesse already admitted at Recall with Carrie Swish, a, a low to middle single digit operating margin business. Uh, at best, maybe 5%. Walmart's, Walmart is the best in the world at inventory management. Still suffered through COVID. Um, uh, they're basically the, the bounce back of, of this year. So, so they made a lot of money doing uh, the shortages. But uh, when they become excessive inventory, uh, Walmart had their own issues as well. So it's Target. Um, and, and, and that business, that retail business, even though Amazon sells them online, and you can argue there's more efficiencies in terms of warehousing and other things. Um, but the, but the, the problem is it, it is a... You know, single digit, five six percent call it operating margin business, uh, versus a other businesses where, um, have much much higher margins within Amazon, uh, such as the rest, like like you mentioned. And the other thing is, I want to add a inflationary point. Uh, how does that connect with how you charge customers? So so so, based based on this very, um, first principle view. Okay, think about how. The, this, the great idea of bundling of subscription has been popularized for the last like 10 years because this low rate environment. Whatever you get, let's say a Spotify, how many songs you listen to? You pay $9 a month. Amazon says, how many goods you buy? You can buy a shitload. And, 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 and they come in, they come in, they come in, the fuel price is high. And the thing is, they don't even incentivize. You know, there's a there's a day they, they give you an option to like for have all these items come together on one day or on a Thursday on Amazon days, like save like five dollar credit. Most people don't even choose that; they just want it quick. They don't care about the credit. So if you order seven different items, they come dropping up seven times with seven different with the few costs. And the, but but you 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 still pay very very little, very very little, uh, because you subscribe to this and you agreed on paying a fixed amount. That model itself is extremely. Disadvantageous, disadvantageous for businesses in an inflationary environment. Think about the other simple but phenomenal businesses that we own a lot of one and we own a little bit of the other one that we hope we can own more. Starbucks and Chipotle. Every time you go buy an item that if you can't fit, if you're coffee addicted, like most of the population are, admit it or not, they, you know, most people don't admit it, but it's the case. Uh, and you go buy a couple of, they raise it from 420 to 450 to 529 to 6, whatever the case may be. I mean, at some point, I think in 08, pre-08, I was reading Howard Schwartz's book, it was like $1.29. So whatever the price is, it's outrageously high these days, like for a couple of items. Okay, so they raise it every time. But if you want to indulge on a seven times a day, guess what? You pay 7x. So per ticket item, they charge you. At each price entry, and they can adjust any time. Coffee bean, commodity price goes up, shipping goes up, they adjust it, right? Some of it, they do have to suck it up, of course. They can't, it's not infinite. But per transaction, you're paying for that percentage margin. So whatever they decide to operate their gross margin on, so this is like, a, I would say, uh, and I'll be the first one to admit it, I, uh, as a portfolio manager, I've suffered through it um, for, this is like one of, let's say, if I've done, let's call it like five things, or maybe about two, three things right in general in my career, uh, that uh, lucky enough to have a decent one, but I've done like seven things wrong. People don't just talk about this. You know, the best investment managers do 10 things and they make six right or five right and they mix their career and then the rest half are wrong. So I probably have like three right and four wrongs. One of the big wrongs is not to focus, obsessively focusing on gross margin. Is this, if, if you are 
taxing them on each transaction by charging total revenue, then then your cost gets much much more linear, organized fashion. Versus if you are bundling, you're giving them okay, so I'm giving you a lot of value. You're gonna to subscribe to this. When it comes to a highly volatile inflationary inflation, meaning the prices not only fluctuates dramatically but upwards only, right? Environment, you can't adjust the subscription bundle like crazy. Like people, let's say, um, and I have a question for you, for, for, for like, and and then people, you know, let's say, how much? What is actually the price point you would cancel your Spotify account? Like music, nine, eleven, twelve, fifteen, sixteen. I believe it's like twenty-five. It's, it's, it's right, like like you actually would be like screw this. And if everybody else charge you the same price, though, so like you, you, then you'd be like, right, I just gonna live without music. I think it's infinitely high. It's pretty high. But then they can't adjust it as frequently because then you think to be greedy and this is like freaking you know whole socialism idea takes over anyway we're going to politics we get my point so then <laughs> then they can adjust it but with chipotle the a bull <laughs> because i get the same thing it's already went from 12 to 90 to 13 now it's 18 dollars 18 so uh over the last year or so but then guess what you still get the same because food prices go up and most people still just going back they complain it's getting expensive but uh, they still go get their Chipotle because particular item. And if you don't, you get a few times less, but that's okay. So basically the market equilibrium, it works out. But the subscription-based model is that, sure, it presents to investors and the company internally an image of steady revenue. You can see this revenue steady because you charge them every month. And then you can predict a very smooth forecast in the future. We have 400 million subscribers paying $10 a month. Guess what's our quarterly revenue, right? Very easy to calculate. And the subscription number goes up about 10% a quarter. But the problem is that during a highly price volatile and only upwards fluctuation environment, that's called inflation, they actually get hurt. And that's sort of, imagine if we did a bundling for you to do a Cancun trip every year, only paying, let's say, $3,099. So like three thousand or four grand, but but all included. Every year, though, people think, oh, they will go to Cancun more often. Airbnb will have a steady revenue. But guess what? When, when Cancun really up and Exactly. Oh. That. Airlines did that in the 90s, by the way. Airlines did a bundle for, I think it's like fly all the around the world, like as many times in a year as you want. You can buy that from United Airlines in 1992 or something, or another airline. I'm, I might be mistaken with that exact airline, but that's done in the airline industry. You pay $14,000 a year or something like that. It's a high price in the 90s, but you can fly as many times as you want. Did not turn out to be a good business model because why? Why do I know it does not turn out a business model? I, this is not even the part that we focus on a lot because we don't think airlines are good businesses. It's because it doesn't exist today. It does. You don't have that business model today. That's what that tells me. It's not a good business because it didn't last. So anyway, um, go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. And they're the companies that are the best for both worlds that thrive doing that zero cost era, that have sexy stories to tell, that grew to scale like Amazon did, but also they have high gross margins and sell per ticket and have a fundamentally phenomenal pricing power. It's called the brand. And that's what we have here. Think about the business of Apple that not only it's sexy enough to tell during that crazy expansionary era that zero cost of capital going to grow users, but yeah, they grow users. They have freaking iCloud that you're gonna, we're going to pay till we die and like, you know, everything else. But also at the same time, um, were they in the headphone industry five years ago? No, but are they like freaking 30% in the market now? Yes. Uh, were they in the watch industry seven years ago? No. Were they like 20% in the market? Yes. Um, do, and do they sell you per each item that, um, they, they charge it's not a some kind of subscription that you uh you spend 99 dollars you buy any kind of ipad you want of course you buy each one they ship it to you and they it's still steady around 43 percent gross margins 43 so for an iphone for airpod for a watch for a mac for ipad all the whole hardware that you buy from apple that's they consistently make just a little less than half from that particular item consistently and they have services on top of it that subscription steady revenue that you pay because there's an installed device space so that speaks to a truly differentiated phenomenal product-based company in the long run and and here's the different vision of the founders and again they're both extraordinary uh, i'm not one to judge here but the point is between steve and jeff was that if you build a product that truly the biggest item that people would not give away that they do everything on it's your bank, it's your music, it's your love language, it's your connection to your parents, to your friends, it's your it's your everything, um, it's your dopamine, it's everything. Then it lasts a lot longer versus a service based uh, business that's uh, uh, doing a certain era might do phenomenally well, but they have their challenges when things come. And obviously, uh, at their size and scale, they can be. Uh, they can't adjust to this. It's not saying that Amazon's over or anything like that. And nobody can do what they do. And obviously, as consumer, we hope them to continue to be around to provide us uh, basically uh, very, very low cost to things. But it's going to be more challenging. That's 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 just where where I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Yep. Cool. Uh, great question. Phenomenal. Uh, so I would say uh, we don't want to be fixed on uh, we do we always prefer a product company versus a service company. And one, first of all, product can be a hardware product, or software product, right? Apple's you think of Chipotle and Starbucks you think of, but Google is a product as well, right? Uh, it's a product. Netflix, the movies they make are products. Uh, they just have millions of it, um, and they have to continue to make it. So one key thing is we uh, and and this is. Again, a definition according to who I learned from Warren Buffett. It's it's where uh, a great business is one does not require continuous intensive input of capital later on. You can do it for five, ten years or eighteen years, but eventually it's gonna stop sucking a lot of capital and gonna 
flip a lot of capital out. It's almost like you're planting a lot of seeds, but eventually the tree just grows. What I mean is that it's where Google, the product is already built. And it takes, as years and years go by, it takes less capital to put in while the brand is still, and, and, and the utility of it is still great to generate a lot of money. Obviously, they have third party involved with ad revenue, so they don't directly charge you. That's also complex. That's also cyclical. You can dive into advertising if you like. That's a uh, two of the largest companies in the world. Uh, one of them no longer the largest, but um, Meta here, I'm talking about. But, 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 but you know, two of the uh, st still very influential companies are based on adver exclusively advertising revenue. So that's different. But the point is, um, you can build a product, and if it's last for a long time, and you can continually charge and even better something on top of it, it's phenomenal. Um, service companies, it's not they can't. Um, I don't want to limit at least my philosophy to a certain type of companies. I want you to look at um, each case by case and 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 study. Uh, and a study from a very first principle real. But if you truly think about it, like say Microsoft, uh, and then a favorite example, I, I think it's a perpetual compounding for the next 20 years. The product is also built. You have what they've acquired, LinkedIn, they've acquired GitHub, which worked well with them tremendously. And then, I mean, they have Xbox, that's 2C, but mainly the products they have is Microsoft Dynamics 365, which includes uh, PowerPoint, Excel, and uh, these things that it is a product, it's software, but it's a product that you're going to use for a long, long time and they charge you IP over that. But that thing, I mean, it's fancy, it's cool. They have so much, I'm giving all the credit to the current engineers and they're so much more powerful now. I'm not taking their credit away. But the, the freaking Excel and then and the SQL and, and, and PowerPoint, it's basically the same. The function, what it actually does, it's the same as when Gates was there. And it's been years since Gates was there to Balmer and to Sachin Nadella. So, um, but but that's a perpetual product that they build, but they continue to charge you on it. So uh, to us, that's a crazily, um, wildly good business to own because because the, it's established. Right, right. And a perfect example of that is you brought up Netflix. Is the continue? They they are a product company. Every single movie on there, whether it hits House of Cards, you know, uh, I'm talking about TV shows, well, obviously. And movies. So House of Cards, Orange is Black, whatever those way back from 20, I believe House of Cards came out 2013. And till now, till the blonde and, you know, new good movies come out, they have multiple deals like Ryan Reynolds with, with different kind of, with Chris Hemsworth. Great movies. I enjoy it as a consumer, but the problem is they have to build a 5,000 in the next 10 years to continue to charge the same amount of revenue, maybe 2% higher. So the pro they have to continue to suck in capital. And that's a not a great business uh, because th the product is not built. They they build one thing. This platform is extremely powerful. They can do a lot of data analytics on, and the Netflix so far, as far as UI and like frictionless uh, and technology, as far as like doesn't run through the bugs and stuff like that on connect TV on all kind of platforms is the best. Sure, that product's built, but everybody else can do that. There's no also buried. So, thank you for helping me uh, write this down because I I need to stress this more often, even in my internal meetings. Barrier to entry. What's the barrier to entry for other people to build the same product as you did? Right, Samsung could do that, but they, they, they charge a very, very low price. Their gross margin is like 13% on their false. 13 versus Apple, 43%. And uh, this is well-known on the street, but um, just to really here for the audience, Apple has about 15% of the global smartphone market. 15% in terms of revenue sales. But they repaying 70% of the profits because they can charge you a lot higher and you wouldn't pay for it. So uh, there is that. So uh, 
and, and very few have have margin and have scale. I think that's the hardest thing because Ferrari has margin, LVMH have margin. They don't really have the scale of like three billion people want to buy the products, right? Because they can't afford it. Apple has scale. Yes, Apple has scale and has margin. Amazon has scale, no margin. Uh, Ferrari has, Ferrari public traded company, $70 billion company. I think it's $40 billion now, maybe drop a little bit. But the point is, it's still a large company, but has margin, no scale, right? Apple has both. So that's pretty much what it is. And Netflix has scale, no, pretty low margin. There's a continuable input. And from many, many perspectives, it's probably uh, a much, much worse business than Amazon. So if you have to choose, like for somebody to shoot me between just only between Amazon and Netflix, I would choose Amazon all day because Amazon under different, different divisions, they have good business underneath that hood. Thank you, sir. You are so right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh no, you're spot on, and and you mentioned a crucial point that uh, about Netflix versus 10, 13 years ago, when nobody was doing streaming, the the cost of having the producers, actors, and stuff to come to do what you, I mean, they have their Hollywood jobs and they have like this niche thing that's growing quickly, that's much much lower during inflationary environment versus competitive entry, thirteen different streaming services, whatever the case may be, targeting mainly U.S. households because let's be honest, Peacock is not getting streaming in South Africa. Um, so isn't HBO Max. So isn't uh, you know all, all kind of movies and and, and and different streaming Showtime or whatever other things. The point is, the same. What is does it benefit? It benefits a wide variety of creative talent. Now have a lot more jobs, and, and it's, it's it's a great thing. By the way, I want to celebrate that because that's a, um, it's it's what humanity are uh, a lot of humans are basically born to do to be creative. That's great. Um. But for Netflix as a company, there's no barrier to entry. Um, they cannot basically build. And, and but, but you do for the smartphone industry. We keep going back to Apple. Sure, we have like one. We have Xiaomi. We have Samsung. We have you know, what can be Pixel and Windows build their phone. Amazon build a Fire Phone. They failed. They canceled it. All that. If if eventually uh, there were competitors, but competitors for all kind of reasons, global supply chain that Tim Cook secured. Uh, 
uh, a design language, a Steve Jobs design, and a connected ecosystem because they already had Mac, they already have, and then they have phone. All these kind of there's many many reasons. You can't just say a single reason. Causation is always harder to figure out than a fact. Okay, than the conclusion. But the conclusion is, for all kind of reasons, Apple still remain the king of not just smartphones, the most important device that anybody owns, and also a bunch of secondarily like number three and number five important devices like a like a watch a, a airpod and a computer things like that so versus uh the tv show the movie business where uh people just want to to hear and watch a good story instead of do they care about this have like an logo on it does that logo mean anything does it make sense so like so that they can't charge just off versus that brand versus even you think of think different you can charge that off of that little Apple logo and Nike just do it. You can charge off that switch, right? I mean, obviously things do diminish over time. Like let's say there must be an era where Nike call is the highest or is it still the highest? Some argue it is, some argue it's not, whatever the case may be. But you can charge more because of who you are. However, a average business, you can't charge more because you just have N on it. Who cares Peacock's logo? What does it look like? Right? No, right. So that's basically what it is. And buying items, same things. Um, Walmart developed their online e-commerce platforms. They might, uh, they, they provide the okay competition to Amazon. Definitely not their scale, but you know, as soon as you get your your hairbrush delivered, uh, you do not care which one shipped it. So um, that's quite a difference there. We care, we prefer uh, brands and 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 very dominant pricing power businesses. Oh yeah, keep going. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. What are the three things? Scale, margin, or, or you want to talk about the three things as in modes and what are the three things that you want me to pick from that answer? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Great, great, cool. And by the way, uh, just for uh, audience here, the reason why we uh, can speak so extensively and, and, and as you can tell passionately about uh, the business, the exact businesses, and instead of talking about, I'm sure James later will ask these questions on some macroeconomics and other things, because uh, one, I want to use the Peter Lynch quote, which is, if you spend uh, 15 minutes starting macroeconomics for your investments, you wasted 13. Uh, but but the, 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 it's not, it's important, it's extremely important. But the problem is that it's not knowable. So I have this chart here. Uh, well, actually, we don't. Um, it's an audio podcast. So, so you, you you record that chart that, that I've shown uh, quite quite often on the knowable, important, not important, knowable. You're talking about? Okay, cool. So there's four. So in order for a piece of information to be, uh, I just want to stress it real, real quick because that's the reason why we, we have to talk about these things. And James already basically drives right to the point with every single question. We talk about only within one quadrant of important and knowable. Right, because there's a lot of information. Class examples I always give on the knowable but not important is the chart. You everybody can pull up a stock chart. It says what happened in the past. Does absolutely anybody who tells us the difference pseudoscience tells you tells you absolutely nothing what's going to do in the future. The stock price of yes, it's extremely knowable because you can pull it up, but but it it is uh uh not very important. Okay, so that is one. Um, well, but but past, so then people go, okay, well, if I know about somebody's past, let's say, okay, let's say you study people. So James, let's say if you know about uh, what I did in high school, in college, and you know, how I, uh, when we start hanging out with a friend, like, okay, people be like, okay, that's a good predictive model what this person can do in the future, most likely, right? A bear to big drastic change. Some people making their life, some people don't, right? Okay. Yeah, that past, people mistake that for, uh, the chart for the K line that Chinese people call, it. but it, it's not the stock price of the of the past. That's a predictive model. Absolutely, those human behaviors predict how a human being uh, will behave in the future. Is their 10K, their annual reports, their quarterly earnings, their profit margins, their net income level, their free cash flow, their revenue, all those. Things. How their management. This is also intangible. How did management communicate to you to investors in the past, and how did they actually turn out? Execution ability. All those things are the actual predictive algorithms of the future. So not the stock, but not the result of it, right? It's what, it's, it's, so, so how did people think the price is just at any time that markets give is rational and irrational, whatever we decided it to be. But, so I want to stress that. And uh, uh, for macroeconomics, there's a lot of things in the other quadrant, which is important, but not knowable. We do not know with the Fed reduce or increase interest rates next year or 2024, let alone, let's say somebody can predict 2023. You can't know in 2027. Why? Because we don't know how the economy is going to be like. Why do we know how the economy will be like? Because we're part of it. We're part of it. So it's like nobody knows if it's going to be, there's going to be an energy crisis in Europe in 2027, or it's going to be a Taiwan war um, between U.S. and China in 2028. Uh, those are horrible things. I don't want that to happen. I'm just giving examples. Or we're going to conquer like Mars in like four years and a half and like Twitter's headquarters is going to be on Mars or something. Who knows? So those are just guesses, right? But the things we know are all the things. That's what we're talking about. So I want to thank James for that on, on scale, on margin, on brand, on existing knowledge, on how the products. But we know how Samsung users are different versus Apple. We know there's only two operating systems of iOS, of Android in the future. Then we know how Google has a big place in the mobile world because they own Android, right? So these things are what we know, and they're important, and we can talk about it. That's uh, uh, 
it speaks for focus there. I think it translates beyond just investing uh, to a lot of things in life that uh, when people realize they actually, it, it's, it's also another chart that I think I posted a bunch of times, you probably already recall. One circle says things that are important. The other says things that you can control. There's a little intersection in between two circles. That's the things you should focus on. But most people always either focus on the things they can control, but it's not important though. Or most mostly people are so worried because in this age of, you know, I'm speaking a little too fast, but uh, at this point, so important is that, so I do want to emphasize is that at this information, you know, like it's a commodity age that will bomb us all kind of information. People want to focus on important things, especially people who are driven, who have goals, who are type A, like they want to be good at Sure, especially in the investment industry, I see that a lot. But the problem is that they don't focus on where the cross is with, with that circle with where you can control things that you are knowable, things you can control, and things that are important. They focus on a lot of important things who they have no control over. Like studying what APAC is going to do the next like meeting does nothing. Because unless you have inside information, you don't know what APAC is going to do. You don't know how, how what, what, what Latimer is going to decide or is going to attack the rest of Europe like or, like Peter the Great or what? We don't know. But there are things we can study. So, uh, but we can we can study Chevron's management execution, and and ability to control the bottom line. In the past, we use those data and how, how to communicate and build a decent model versus how Exxon executed in the past. So, if you want oil exposure, then you can decide between Chevron and Exxon. That's a decision uh, can be made uh, relatively intelligently versus predict predict what Latman Pudding is going to do uh, next month. Uh, emphasis on that, and and I will answer your question. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm here to be poked. Yeah, I'm here to be poked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to credit this. So some of this, Scott Galloway, a professor of NYU, somewhat famous, he has his own YouTube uh, channel and have like YouTube classes starting like 2018, wrote a book called The Four. The Four literally talked about Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and, and Google at the time, I think it published in 2017. Um, it's a great book and he's a profound thinker. He, he mentioned a bunch of times in his, in, in a, and, and, and I like the way he writes. It's basically the way I talk about podcast. Very straightforward. He used the word shit a bunch of times. Uh, he does not use the F word, but he used the shit word shit and damn, these kind of things. So it's cool. But the point is, he, he mentioned a bunch of times on sex appeal um, and scalability and, and, and on branding. So so I'm picking off some of the parts, but but he helped me to shape my view on this. And I have a lot of, uh, I think, my own comprehensive view of this uh, or somewhat maturing, but maybe not comprehensive yet. I think... There are a couple of things that human want, but if you were talking about a brand that both have scale and margin, so a business that can do that, um, we can reverse engineer like which company have it, like Nike has it, would you say? Uh, it has a brand. Uh, um, 
but it also has scale, right? So we take, we'll kick out Ferrari. Let's say that's not a good example. I always use because they sell four thousand cars a year. There are forty five billion dollar companies. They sell four thousand cars a year. They make a lot of money on the cars, sure, because it's like forty five percent gross margins, and each car is like six hundred grand. Of course, the total numbers are going to be pretty high. I mean, it's a good business too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's also at the peak of twenty twenty one or twenty twenty. I think I traded around sixty eight times PE um, with top line fifteen percent growth uh, revenue gross business. And uh, so the pack ratio is quite high. At the lowest, even now, I think Ferrari still trades at 28 to 32 times. So pretty high multiple business. So nice around there. Just to give you an example. So Nike is one. Starbucks is one. Scale and, uh, and, and margin. Uh, Apple is one, obviously. So to reverse engineer this, I think people want two things, right? Why Amazon has scale, has like relatively lower margin or like doesn't have this like brand? Because people don't think Amazon is beautiful. You agree? People don't think Amazon as this place like super sexy, work, sexy to work at. But like take maybe the last five years become a little mundane, but think about how the last like 15 years, especially when Steve was there, how crazy it was for people to work at Apple. Like people be like, oh my God, it makes you so, so, so sexy. It makes you so cool. So smart. Right. Because the, the idea of these things are, is basically on the root of um, human nature of how we are. Right. Uh, I think, he, uh, Scott Galloway, he mentioned a couple parts, and uh, I was sort of drawing here. One is that we want to appeal, appear to be uh, attractive and intelligent to basically the people around us. Uh, it could be opposite sex. It could be the same. It could, we could care less about that sometimes, and we could care a lot. But the point is that we want something that makes us cool. So if, if it's like, why does Walmart not have the, this brand sexiness that gives you grocery or something um, and, and doesn't have a cult or most like toothbrush companies don't, right? Uh, it's because it's like a, such a thing that you don't really show off to your friends with and it's like a utility function and you get it, you just care about it as cheap as possible, right? And even Gillette is a great razor blade business that Buffett talked about many times. I won't dive into because I'm not actually... Uh, quite an ex i'm not i'm the opposite of an expert in terms of shipping products i basically just uh buy whatever it is and that shows an attitude of how it becomes utility so but however we care about certain things that like a certain like a wearable uh technology device like think about how iWatch becomes this um anti-rolex of the millennial gen z world you do not look like a cheap person that to have iWatch. nobody will call you broke or like you're in poverty but also at the same time, it's like cool, but affordable. Same thing applies to like a Model 3. Most, I mean, that's definitely a much, much bigger ticket item. I'm very well aware a lot of people can't afford cars. Or ones who can't afford don't want to pay for a $500 a month payment. But the point is, at $500 a month or 50 k of uh, MSRP for a medium level Model 3 option, a Model 3, that it still becomes a status symbol as in, okay, look, I am cool. I am hip. I'm tech, tech. But also, like, you don't have to be super wealthy to afford it. That's also, I think, it's like the this... The next chasm, and, and we, uh, one of the, I mentioned one of the four or five mistakes we've made, uh, I've made myself uh, in the past as an investment manager, but this is one of the, and the biggest corrections, the victories that we've earned. We've earned uh, 12x for our investors during that time from 28, December 2018 to July 2020. It was less than two years, about 19 months, we earned 12x on our money in the Tesla position. And uh, uh, this is public records we had about, uh, at the most, 
we have 60% of our funds in Tesla at the time in 2019 when it was super, super low. And, and obviously, portfolio positioning and, and, and that uh, amount of return turns into great outcome for the entire fund. So, But the point is, because Model 3, we saw Model 3 become this such quite a staple and uh, that brand factor. Obviously, there's many, many other reasons we invest in Tesla back then, and there's a reason we don't have a big position now. So I'm happy to dive into that later, but it's such a company-specific thing, and it's very specific. But the point is, so we think of a Nike shoe 299 or 99, where the Jordans, some Jordans get crazy prices. I, I we're aware of that, but the point is that most Nike products are still reasonably affordable. Starbucks is affordable. It's more expensive than you at home brew coffee, but it's affordable. Apple is affordable. So these kind of things. Affordable luxury, I think, will combine with scale and margin. That's the part I sort of relate to. Uh, I relates to me the most, and I, I think I speak that language. I think I observe middle class a lot, especially North American and European middle classes, and understood how, understand how they how they spend and the rising middle class of China for the last 20, 30 years. So that's the part of the affordable luxury to be able to achieve scale and margin because it's a luxury that has margin luxury relative to its industry that's the key people think four dollar fifty cents is not more luxury it's goddamn luxury because you make your coffee at home it's like 75 cents right so i'm not talking about it's a luxury as far as absolute price right so many people can afford starbucks so many and people be like oh that's like a ferrari now like well guess what come yeah in that discipline in that domain it is like a ferrari right so because if you just want specifically 120 milligram of caffeine in your body, there's a lot cheaper ways, like I think about 10% of the actual cost you would pay for a vanilla sweet cold cream cold brew with extra shots of this and that, <laughs> right? So uh, that is a luxury. Same thing with Nike. If you want just a pair of shoes to wear, like there's like, uh, as I was like 18, 19, I specifically liked Nike for a period of time and stuff like that. Uh, then later you find out there's like 40 bucks sneakers work just as well, right? So, uh, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people who found out that earlier than I do and they started saving uh, much, much earlier than I do. And uh, so they can invest in pure value capital. But I'm just kidding. But the point is, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. So, 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 so <laughs> exactly. So I had to throw some humor there somewhere. So the point is, I think affordable luxury as the product. And what it means affordable is scale, luxury is margin. And therefore, you build a brand. And the brand part, uh, I get you where you're coming from. You're asking the hardest question here. I have some glimpse of it. Uh, if I know exactly how to build it and I see a product, I see a hole in the market, I'll probably uh, be on to another journey and build one myself. But 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 I think uh, there's few we can learn from, like Howard Schwartz of Starbucks, like Phil Knight, Shoe Dogs, author of, of Nike, and, and Steve Jobs, obviously his whole life, he talked about this. I think there's some combination of beauty, design, uh, functionality, of uh, because like Nike is still quite a functional product that that you do a lot of things with. I want to draw on the importance of wearing sneakers and the comfort of it. People do good airports and those kind of things and outfits and look. But Starbucks is as good as it tastes. It still makes you more productive. If it's just sugar, if it's just sugar, not caffeine, it's a little different, right? It's just, it's just still has a, so an Apple. Obviously, this is like a productive machine. Well, I'm on three devices right now, just talking to you, right? So, <laughs> um, so. That's the, I think the, some combination between superior functionality, but also a cult behind the brand and the trust in the, uh, what the brand represents and uh, um, how people want to associate with it. That is a, uh, in general, quite, a, let's say, uh, one more example here. People say, if you don't study hard, you're going to get a job at McDonald's. That's like a freaking diss towards McDonald's in the culture. They don't say they don't say you're going to be a barista at Starbucks. Somehow it seems higher, more legit. 
right? Am I right? Like, like people don't think, huh, if you don't. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and I would say like out of all the quantitative skill I have, like I would, I have a lot of downfalls, but in, uh, in, in, in things I need to optimize better as a product myself, I would say this is my probably natural strength as a fund manager the, of the, of these cultural references. I somehow always, when I first started investing, was like 17 or something, always had this like smell or special niche of like, be like, okay, what is the call behind this damn thing? Like, uh, forget about business, forget about the founder, even forget about the management team and the 10 K. Let me feel this cult. So like I will go through in and out drive throughs I'll go through like stuff. I'll be like, what is this cult? Like, or, or less of it, right? Either have a cult or not. So, um, and even Costco, it does not feel, it's a price sensitive, cheap place to shop. Like go, people go there to save money, right? But you don't feel like a lousy loser. Like you go to stop, like you go to Walmart. You go to Walmart, you go like a lousy person, basically. And let me no offense to Walmart. You're like a lousy, but you go to Costco. You're like, you're smart. You save money. You know, so whatever they did there. So again, I don't know exactly how to manufacture it, but I do know one to when I see one. Does it make sense? That's also probably the difference between a world class CEO and the world class portfolio manager I strive to be, because I can be a PM. But the difference between being a CEO is to know how to create it. Somehow, when Munger was on board, and I forgot his name, Jim. Uh, I, I shouldn't know his name, but the founder of Costco. There, there's a creation between Sam Walton's, you know, pure scale Walmart like Amazon versus Costco, and there's a difference between. Robert, if you don't study hard, you're going to work at McDonald's. Nobody says, you're going to be a Starbucks barista, though. Like, uh, yeah, it's slightly better. But, but people don't say that. So it makes it much, much better. Um, yeah. Perception is reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
absolutely, absolutely. And uh, there's, it's it's also um, that to to add a we're, we're trying to make things simple and and and, and they sound very uh, first principle based and all this it's great. Um, to add another capacity to it, to 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 make simple things seem to be difficult, but it's a reality for us. I want to. I'd rather to be realistic uh, than to be one way biased the other. I think we, we made a lot of complex issues very simple, but I do want to add a re, very real layer to this, and it's a real problem that people have to deal with. Is this when you identify a great product, um, the job is mo- you're almost home. So people didn't talk about people didn't talk about bio as you know, and and, and talking about. However, there's a few. Yeah, there is a few instances and this is I'll go back to my mistake categories that you do hit phenomenal product but bad business model it doesn't happen that cult scale all these things all happen people love the, in, the interaction with the product itself founder led management you I think you already know what I'm talking about exactly um, you hit a spot on. I don't know if we have we privately have I shared with you the entire process before. Um, having to do it, I haven't. But the point is, uh, just to throw the conclusion is that th- then the business itself can be quite lousy, even though the consumer can't live without it. The consumer love it, and it has a cult. Um, and because I was really into a Starbucks point, because the, how should I share this at the Starbucks industry hold meeting? We talk about our greatest benefits for that that through their survey, internal employee survey, that the employees love the most. It's not the healthcare, surprisingly. It's not uh some they have some, they have some sort of Starbucks compensation for one k for even for their baristas, uh, and for their free community college education because they send you through community college two years and four year degree and they pay like a lot of stuff if you work there for many many years and stuff. Um, so Starbucks have quite good benefits. The point is, the greatest benefit they enjoy because it's like instant gratification. People, it's cheap, but then people uh don't want to pay for it on their own. They feel like it's a perk, even though it's like half of their hourly salary. It's Spotify. So you get a free Spotify premium account instantaneously when you sign on to be a Starbucks barista. Uh, and people love it, even though it's like basically as your salary, like a little bit or something per hour. But the point is, uh, that shows how much, in, especially in the Gen Z and millennial generation, how much people love it. Uh, as as uh, I don't have to emphasize the importance of audio versus like movies and TV shows. You have to sit down and watch it, to concentrate all that. But it's like kind of like water. It goes with you everywhere. You're commuting, you're listening, you're working out, you're listening. You, you do everything you're listening. So uh, you can do that at least uh, if you choose to listen. But the point is, it's a phenomenal product, but because the labels and the, a lot of different constraints for people who are interested in the music industry, I can go on tangent about it uh, because we did a, I did a lot of work on it. But um, sometimes it's still not a complete investment case yet. It has to play all fronts. It's almost like, uh, I, th- I believe Buffett wanted to talk about investing companies, people should like look at them as marriages or at least at a close friends. You can probably only have six or seven at the time and in your life probably only only investing 25 of them that's why it's so hard and so rare to hit all fronts um and when it does hit should go heavy positions um but before that uh sometimes just by having a great product and all those things we we addressed that people factor it's not enough to invest in business yeah that's why it's hard that's why it's hard
Yes. Yes. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. I'm down. I'll stay with all macro now. Perfect. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. They don't have time, and because the business model. We can dive into that, but I want to because the business model of traditional linear TV is flawed. It's flawed. They have to sell advertisement and stuff. They don't have time. Look how much time we covered in an hour and a half. I mean, uh, by the way, just on set of so audience know we're doing this. Uh, James is uh, gracious enough to do it at my, uh, basically my time zone. And he's in located in North Carolina on the East Coast. I'm uh, currently in San Diego at my home base on the West Coast. So, uh, uh, so for audience, you know, so if you want to go long, we can do another, like at least uh, 34. But, but if you do have to, uh, get some rest for, uh, and then we can, let me, you decide on, so today's like, I'm basically the guest, you want to host actually, I've already two cents, it's perfect. So you let me know if it's going to be 20 and you want to, uh, or 30 minutes or, or anything longer, I can do that. But the point is, I, I want to address you, it's hundred percent true. They don't have the time to do that when it's on a TV, because look at how much time that we covered on one or two. I mean, we covered some important stuff, but on, on very, very important, very in depth, but in order to go in depth. They, there's no way we can sell advertisement in between. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> and have a 20-minute program on TV. So anyway, keep going. But but you, you let me know anytime that, because I, I can go for hours, uh, keep going, no problem. But I, I want to be courteous to your time zone. Yeah. Okay. Okay, awesome. I love that.
I love that. I love that. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Neither does the Fed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they will adjust according to the the feedback of actually happening in their economy. Yeah. Oh, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's for higher IQ people. It's it's for higher IQ people versus uh, my fund managers. Yeah. 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 Yes. Mm -hmm.
Absolutely. All hands agree here. I, I have no no argument on that one. That's a, it's 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 very profound. And, and for people, especially for people who who are into um, studying unemployment rates, CPI, interest rates, what the uh, PBOC is going to do. That's the central bank of China. What the Fed is going to do versus how, which which premier, uh, which, which prime minister gets elected uh, in the United Kingdom. What is he going to do or she? And then. Um, these things are so, it's people, for, for everybody who's good at it, um, I think the CIA with insider information is super amount of intelligence. They knew Russia was going to invade, invade Ukraine about maybe three weeks ahead with the resources. Um, and that's the insider trading at a bigger scale. I mean, of course, because they had literally do insider intelligence. And that's, um, yeah, but for investors who rely on legal public information, it's very, very hard to know these things. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, yeah, I think at this point it's probably pretty well. Thank you for the preface, by the way. So I don't have to preface myself. I appreciate that, James. Um, otherwise, I'll just like say a bunch of things about why macro is like uh, it's science, but it's hard to predict science. And then I'm about to speak a bunch of nonsense. But now I know I'm speaking nonsense, so I'm gonna go. So I think um, versus. Yeah, which before when we compare McDonald's to Starbucks, I know I was speaking close to the truth, uh, close to, to it. But so I think a couple of things here. I think there is, um, th- at this point, it's probably pretty well understood by most people, uh, not only just on Wall Street, Main Street, on Main Street as well, uh, because media penetration and all that, uh, that we are at the end toward, at, at the end of a economic expansion cycle, at least. Uh, whether there's a recession or not, uh, it's not clear yet. Uh, so far, we're technically still not in a recession. Uh, that's the prediction of many. That probably will happen, or probably will not. Um, the 
conventional the, 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 at least my personal wisdom has always been everybody points one way and predict one way actually sometimes things don't just happen like that um so there's a good chance we don't have a hit recession customer ring demand remains robust and inflation come down that's the quote-unquote soft landing that people want to talk about it's still highly possible um would i put that at overwhelmingly 50 60 percent 80% chance, no, but is that less than a 5% chance? That's probably somewhere between 30% chance. Uh, but reality only has one, right? So we don't, so that's that. Um, as far as the cycle, so I think what we can focus on is basically um, long-term rates and, 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 and sort of the cost of capital. Uh, well, rather, uh, we'll look at long-term rates, but, but rather actually what's gonna happen to long-term rates in the short to medium term, well, that's what I mean. So, which, which, which what I mean is, I think in the next year or two at least, or three, four years, uh, might be even longer. That's the duration we don't know. But for the foreseeable future, uh, the the fundament fundamentally, there's two kinds of relationships are changing. One is between people who deploy capital and people who um, use it in any sort of way or form. I'll give you many, many examples in this cycle. Uh, that relationship is going to change to so borrowers and lenders or uh, investors and uh, entrepreneurs, right? Because uh, that's just speaking of the difference between how capital is deployed. Uh, if you loan money to someone, you are a lender, and the other person is a borrower, the instrument is called debt. Uh, if you, if I invest in equity into something new company that you or new pizza joint you're going to build, uh, then you are a entrepreneur who operates the business. I'm an investor in owning shares and equities in the business. So just naming different ways of how the money is deployed. But it's mainly about how structurally, uh, people who have the capital to uh, deploy and people who use it, right? Um, that relationship and the labor and the capital relationship, which is fundamentally probably goes back to all the way to Karl Marx talk about uh, how labor and capital are different and the, uh, all that stuff. So in the working class and the capital class, and, and that's uh, quite a deep uh, societal issue. But the first one, um, cost of capital will not be zero and will be will seem dramatic, dramatically higher than what we know from 2020 to 2022, which is zero, and 2018, 2019, at the highest, it was a 2%. Now it's approaching four. So the uh, people think, ah, four, I mean, interest rate used to be a 10. But the thing is, it's a two, it's, 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 it's a two standard deviation change. And versus like, uh, and, and, and just to, I mean, now again, well understood, but when the stock market started the year at like 4,000, uh, no, 4,500 rather, S&P, if you have a 0% interest rate to 4%, you discount that. I mean, I'm sure uh, you know your models and DCFs and stuff. Then you, you, you basically 20p goes to like 17, 16. And sometimes, you know, if you if rates keep going over 15, then you're looking at just by uh, multiple, a 30% cut. That's what we have, right? We have 30%. But then for a lot of companies who are multiple stuff, if you have 100 PE, then at like freaking uh, 0%, then your cut might not be go to 70 because at like 5%, there's a uh, risk-free rate, there's a lot of options and people probably don't want to pay 70 PE. They probably want to pay like 30 or 15, depends on how much capacity you're growing. Then from 100 to 15, it's an 85% drop, 85%. So, um, and if economically uh, there's a recession and also your business is quite volatile, I'm speaking about advertising here, then you, and also you have structural challenges of competitors, I'm talking about TikTok, if you have like freaking, uh, you know, uh, enemies going against you that they own the hardware, uh, you know, then, then, then you then, then you are at 33p last year, now you are like nine, then you do have a 80% uh, 
uh, well, on the multiple compression, you have a 60% drop, but then your E gets, get, you, the equation actually, because your E gets smaller, it trims, so that the peak is even larger, then you have to trim again, so probably you have an 80% drop. That does happen, uh, surprisingly or not surprised. Uh, and full disclosure, we do all meta stock, and, and I think uh, have a chance to, I will not dive into it just here, but uh, it, it, it's interesting, let's put it that way. But, so, that's on that. Uh, on the on, on relationship, what, uh, and I can't help but use some specific company uh, examples here. But the problem is, if you want to focus on a macro, is if there is a weight, a cost to your money, then all the I think the part where we discuss in group chat as well, all the big big people or big institutions—they're not one person—who deploy capital, the decisions become fundamentally different. I am a nobody or smallest fish in the pound or uh, same as high net worth individuals, whoever that I know of, that uh, even if family offices or uh, medium-sized, it doesn't matter. The po or uh, one of my favorites were like, you know, uh, Ackman or like, you know, Persian Square or, or have running 15 billion. That's a drop in the bucket in the global size of all kinds of markets, in equities, uh, that's the stock market people talk about, in bonds, in derivatives. So what I mean is the pension funds of, let's say, Los Angeles Fires Department, it's like $40 billion. That's their retirement money that need to pay firefighters through generations. The Sovereign Wealth Fund of Norway as a country, it's like at least a couple trillion, and they decide what to do. Saudi Aramco, same thing, all these things, you can you get a gist of it. And insurance companies. Huge. And uh, so here's the thing. If they get, if they get, but they all have, and this is sort of this, this we can't get first two first principle because that's the way how society was structured. And we can argue should be structured this way. But, you know, we invented companies called insurance companies. We invented like a, like a pension funds and we invented annual payout rate. They have nominal payout rates. A lot of times not inflation adjusted. So their retirees, you know, excuse me language, get effed as well because if they have a nominate payout rate at 7%, guess what happens on 10% inflation year? They lose money. But guess what? They're like happy. They're like, I take home seven because I'm, I'm no longer working for GE that 30 years ago, I used to work at their aerospace engine department. I was the best engineer there. Now, like when I was 58, I got a little injury. I retired early. Now I'm like 78. I've been on this GE pension plan for 20 years. Guess what? You got to pay me, right? You said seven, seven. Okay. You said four, four, whatever we agree on. Correct. So most of them are not inflation adjusted on the good. I mean, for the last like, eight, nine, 10, 15 years, if they pay you four, you're like happy because the inflation is one and you have like a little bit to spend and stuff. And most like pension, I think some of them are like tax uh, protected and that's quite complex with the tax laws. But the point is that uh, they're okay. But now if it's 10, they pay seven or whatever the case may be. But the point is they are nominal. Then the insurance companies and the pension funds, they look at, okay, we don't need to own equities, own stocks, which are quite volatile. And this year, we'll prove them right. Be like, oh, see, like if we own them, we're probably. So they all shift the bonds. Um, and and it, it because the rate rises, right? So, so, so. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that is the crucial change that um, this what this fund leaves the market, right? So, uh, but then why does bond market drop as well? Because the bond market have to react to Fed rates, right? It was like 0% uh, 0% 1% at the beginning of the year. And for beginners, like, you know, 
bonds basically the more you sell the rates the more it goes up so it goes inversely not the same direction but the point is but now there's real bid for only u.s dollar based uh risk-free assets like government bonds and corporate bonds and things like that uh, so when central banks set their uh base rate uh much much higher and raise it by 400 basis points within a year this is what happens uh and the second part of it, I want to talk about the labor and capital relationship. It's worth watching. Absolutely. Uh, there's all kinds of labors. There's McDonald's labors we talked about before that if I, uh, if we didn't uh, study hard or if I uh, uh, underperform for the next uh, 18 months or 18 years, I don't know how long the leash I have, but uh, then, then, then you work at McDonald's. So, so there is a, Low labor, uh, you know, lower cost of labor component of it. There's also a, what the classic known high tech labor or high paying Wall Street jobs labor part of this, right? So where does that come in? Was the software industry undersupply with uh, software engineers for the last ten years? Sure, did this group, but a lot of people studied and joined the industry. Uh, why is the supply this grew so fast, right? So, so it's like a two-sided equation. Again, this is all macro, very hard to like predict model or like predict, um, it's about general phenomena, so you can't quantify it. Is that, okay, so some people study it and some people become the supplier of this labor, but then there's a lot of crazy growth scale we talk about. doesn't have, does not involve margin, okay? Uh, because, you know, you don't need to make money doing a zero interest environment. You just scale and people give you more money. But then you reach a certain scale, you do need hyper So then they give you all kinds of perks and you, you, you're getting paid, uh, 200 grand pre-tax in Silicon Valley and you're getting uh, the fucking whatever uh, laundry services you have and all kind of things and board games and, and chocolate bars and like organic uh, kombuchas. So then th then as that process go uh, keep going, now the expansion stops. Do they need as many people? They're very hesitant. And I, and this is also the part, again, I can't help by using company examples on uh, micro, but I wouldn't image it. But the point is, it, it, it's harder actually for large companies, which is what most people investing in S&P 500 or large cap investors, which is well-known names. It's harder for them to say, we're going to lay off 20% of people. If Meta uh, basically uh, sent 20% of people away or fire 20% of people, uh, they're back at what employment level, guess? Q2 2021. They're back at last June. And last June was, had they had higher revenue, uh, they had more advertisers. Basically, the company was operating just fine last year. I don't think there was a problem. So if they fire 20% of people, which is 20,000 people, I think like 18,000 or 20,000, uh, they go back to last June's headcount and they will become a linear operation. You know, all kind of all kind of reasons they'll be basically go from 16% body fat to 10% and they'll be like lean and jacked, right? So, but the point is that uh, that's still a lot of large number. So then it becomes a societal thing. So this is like, it's very complex. So it's harder for Google, oh, same thing applies to Google, I mean, that's just name one company. Like, it's harder for them to really adjust this way. Uh, and, and these are fully employed employees. These are not contract workers. So this, there's a difference between this like versus like giga worker, like DoorDash and like Uber and like Airbnb. They sort of like sign on and like, and if you, you have a beautiful beach house and then next year you don't want to rent it, you, Airbnb, you don't even have employees, right? You have like, basically they only deal with capital class and capital class. Think about how, and again, can help adding a third example, but it helps to illustrate my other point though, is that think about how capital class, which capital class is Airbnb? You have land and you have like people who have, niche interesting taste who can afford some things to travel with it's basically you deal with capital to each other that's why the business becomes in general very um smooth and has a good brand and all that versus for people who uh 
don't really have a house, they have a car, they can drive or they rent a car, then that's a different kind of societal clientele versus people right. It gets quite complex, right? With ride sharing. So uh, but but they don't have an employee problem. So all this, I think the difference between I cannot predict it, but I do sense a societal fundamental shift economically, uh, by simply changing interest rates to due to a 40-year high inflation to at least 15-year high interest rate that we have now, right? We're still not higher than, I believe, in 01, we had 6.5% when uh, during the dot-com bubble, during the peak of the dot-com bubble, when Greenspan, Alan Greenspan, the former, the former, former, former uh, three former, I think, yeah, uh, Fed chairman uh, in 96 said irrational exuberance, and then five years later, actually, exuberance came, uh, point be made, in 2001, I think it was 6.5% interest rate. Then, going through a little history lessons here, uh, for everyone, I think then in September 11th of 01, we had that um, humanitarian, we had, we had a basically big tragic of September 11th for the Twin Towers go down. Then we come in here at mini recession because there was literally no airlines were flying. People refused to get on. Six months later, they start traveling again, though. Notice that, by, by the way, a, a small thing here. Notice how that's the same as for US consumers. They're always robust. That's why I would never count out. So, yeah, we're going to have a recession for sure because. Uh, COVID 2020, guess what? People was traveling. Like people were scared for like six months. They started freaking spending like crazy. Uh, there was some stimulus. I get that. Stimulus, I get that. But if you go back to look at September 11th of 2001, we're talking about macro events here. Six months, people don't want to fly. Six months later, people were like freaking partying like 1999. So US consumers are like the most un- most forgiving and robust um, partying, spending people ever. Maybe that's from they drinking beer pounds at 19 and like, you know, and, 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 and just party like this, I mean, always, it's good though. Uh, it's, it's not a bad thing for, uh, for, well, it's, can't, can't say it's good or bad. I mean, it's, it's a lot of components bad for the planet, I guess. Yeah. 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 Suppose for, from, from some perspective, it's good, but I mean, I'm sure there's crazy, environment, uh, not crazy, but I'm sure there is ra- reasonable environmentalists out there saying spending is bad for the planet. I totally agree. That's why we need to find Juniper and uh, Mars and beyond. Uh, so labor capital, I think something fundamentally changes. And uh, borrowers, lenders, or we call that entrepreneurs and investors, something fundamentally change. Therefore, I do not, if this continues, uh, the best, the best will survive. Whatever come out of this will be like golden tested. So, so I'll wrap it up the, the point here, then I'll go back to you. So I think what I mean is this, will be much, much less like totally aggregate number of successful, let's say, uh, whether it's funded by debt or funded by equity, right? So borrowland, again, that's just terminology, debt and ordinary, or investor, entrepreneur. Whatever uh, total volume was be a lot less companies or projects can survive out of this, especially new ones who launch. Let's say there's still new companies, new business being formed every day, right? Like today, tomorrow, like 2023. Okay. Doesn't matter how deep it is. In 08, 09, all things happen, especially Airbnb came out of 09, right? Uber came out like 2010 stuff. So, uh, and one is a good business, one is not, but I'm just saying they did grow out of that era. But so, so um, there'll be very few, the total volume will be very small because some of them, they go to market, they can't, the, the, the leash is shorter, right? Three months, they can't survive, they're out, right? Eight months, they can't service their high debt, they're out, right? And speaking of even Twitter has a new 13 billion debt obligation that uh, Mr. Mars has to pay regardless of how he wants to run it. Um, he, he funded the acquisition with debt and, and that don't cost cheap these days versus like a year ago. So, um, and that's one component of it, but whoever survived will Second is that I sense there's some change reversing back. So this is this is like, a, I can speak a little bit more certainty. I think reversing back, 
against the extreme of 2021 of labor and capital. 2021 was the peak year of quiet quitting, great, great resignation. Everybody, every employee, if you are willing to work, you can ask for $85 an hour work at Amazon Hill Warehouse. I'm speaking in crazy number. I know it's probably like 25, but the point is you can ask crazy numbers. Doesn't matter if you are supposed to be 120 grand a year tech worker or 500 grand a year lawyer or a uh, $16 an hour uh, employee at a certain warehouse or something. You are asking for a crazy increase. Uh, again, rooting for that. I'm rooting for that. It's not a bad thing. But a big increase versus years past against capital because capital was really zero and government helicopter a lot of money. And I want to, speaking of macro, I want to distinguish the difference between high velocity money and low, low velocity money here. The QE era of 09 to 2019 was low velocity money. It, again, the societal impact, I'm not judging good or bad. I'm just saying facts as facts. Low velocity money goes to the wealthy class. So therefore, the 1% owned a lot more wealth through 09 and 2019. And high velocity money is helicopter money go to the lower uh, earning income class society. And what they typically do when they earn something is they spend it. So therefore, they might they buy more Chipotle bowls. They travel to more resorts. They go to more Disneyland. They buy more stuff. So these things, and obviously they drive more with gas prices and everything. So <clears throat> they spend it right away. And that jacks up the actual consumer price index in, or NPCE, which is what the Fed looks at primarily, versus high velocity money is that you added asset class appreciation to people who already have $15 billion in stocks. It went to 18. They bought one more piece of land, two more yachts, a bunch of more restoration hardware furnitures, which cost 30, 30 grand a sofa and two more Ferraris. But, a, but the difference is that it does not, none of that gets calculated into CPI and PCE. Whether it's a question of, oh, this is, wait, I'm diving deeply into micro, this is, but this is probably all the microeconomics knowledge I got. So let me uh, keep going a little bit, a little bit longer here. So the point is, uh, then <laughs> whether or not we debate on PC and CPI are the right metrics to measure inflation is another story. So for the 909 to 19, what actually went, two things, and they are real cost to people. The Fed just choose not to look at it. I'm not criticizing what the Fed should look at. I'm just saying the fact. Two things went up the most. So not for always, not restaurant hardware, not land, not yachts. Not like people actually care about that. Some people do. Healthcare, tu college tuition. Those two things are not, healthcare costs are not part of the inflation index. College tuition, because college is a privilege. Nobody's supposed to, like, it's not calculating a CPI that, uh, let's say, UCLA, I'm just giving a, like a proper, but more like random, not Harvard, but not community college kind of school. Let's say UCLA cost, 38 grand in 20, in 2009. Well, actually, because uh, they have like California State residents and public universities, some people pay uh, reasonable little. Let's use NYU, private university. Okay, so NYU, 09, you pay 38 grand, 2019, you pay like 70, right? Like that doubled. Then the annual compounding rate must be like 10% plus or something. Obviously, the Fed doesn't count that because that's like a higher class problem, right? So through the QE era, it's high, it's low, low velocity money, goes to high class people, who already have a lot of assets, they don't buy more Chipotle bowls and drive a little bit longer throughout their day. That demand is fixed for them. And most of them are old. They don't need to drive that long or, or do whatever, or chug eight um, cups of coffee. And um, the other side of it is when, through 2020, 2021 mainly, that when government gave helicopter money for the right reasons, COVID, and all, we all know the reasons why, people got the money, free checks, set at home, without working, make more than what they go to work for. Economics 101 does not work. We have a shortage of, market, shortage of police. So back to the original point. 
Labor capital probably going to reverse a little bit. I think long term is healthy for the balance of things because companies can hire a reasonable price. I'm rooting for long term, obviously, employment wage increase. People be like, okay, then you slap me in your own face. Why are you saying it's good? Well, because look, that's short term. It's temporary. CPI still goes up faster. Rent still goes up faster. Energy costs still go up faster than your actual wage increase. You think you set a home and have a lot of bargaining power with your employer, but you actually don't because the economy is going to basically a shithole and, and inflation is going skyrocketing. What you actually want, it's a reasonably rate environment. I think Fed wants to, I don't think it's going to get to, that's my personal view. I have zero basically uh, credibility on that, but I think probably three or four. Then, then eventually, our, let's say our Fed funds are at three and a half, inflation is at 2.7 or 3.4. Then you, if your wage can get at four and five, you're good, right? So, um, and obviously long term, and that's a more personal finance. We can dive into that too, if you want. Later, is that long term to true financial freedom? Uh, for most people, at least, I think employment is never uh, the answer. But also, that's 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 that's, a, that's a, also a whole another topic. But yeah, so yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Perfect. 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 Yeah. So we still go back to labor and capital. And I think that's fundamentally reversed from 2021, which was excess of uh, for a long time that in 2021 was was extreme. I think that reversed back a little bit. And uh, entrepreneur or slash borrower was excess in 21 as well. 21, we have a project. Everybody lines up, beg you to for you to invest in their product. You, know, you just have an idea. You have a PowerPoint. But everybody lines up because they're they have they're chasing returns. Right, single family office versus a pension fund. They all beg to invest in this dream vision. Yes, yeah, 2022. People don't want to listen to your story. They ask, Can you return my money 5x in like three months? You're like, No, it takes three years. And they're like, No, thank you. So I'm saying they're both extreme. Some, I think, somewhere we're gonna land in the medium. I do think right now we'll land to, to excessive to outside of the extreme now. Either uh, I have this. Well, people can see because we don't have the audio version of it, but I'll show you, my friend. So either this thing is going to be big, or this thing is going to be a thousand five hundred dollars. By the way, so either thing is going to be big. Uh, I'm talking about MetaQuest Pro for like the podcast listener. Um, or yeah, or they were not. But uh, either last year it was worth one point one trillion dollars, or this year it was like two hundred million. So I mean, I think both sides are extreme. To choose probably lies somewhere in the middle. Just like all things, inflation. I uh, and to make one uh, last micro macro prediction for you. And again, it's not like I have credibility on that, but uh, but I do have reasonable conviction in this one. I think the true long term inflationary rate it's higher than the last 15, 25 years, or whatever the case may be, because the three dominant forces: China, China, internet. The reason why I said China twice and Internet once, you know, you know what I mean? China, so, so it's kind of a mind, it's kind of a trick there, but you know what I'm saying? It's only two reasons, but China, China, Internet that become long term because your socks got cheaper, your underwear got cheaper. Like for all consumers in the lower markets, the freaking everything was cheaper because this 1.4 billion people were willing to kill each other to work for free. That's what Chinese capitalism was like for the last 25, 30 years, right? So, um, and that's a long-term definition force. So I do not think we're going back to that low rate environment because inflation itself, it's not going back down that low. But is it going to be at 11? And here's the key. It's compounded rate, right? So I'm sure you know this. I just want to sort of elaborate uh, and make sure everybody understands this point. We are compounding at 10% inflation. It means from 2020 to 2021, we had a plan. 
This year, another attack. So if we keep going on a 10, guess where we're going? I, with Fed being this aggressive, I don't think we're going another 10, 10, 10, 10. You see where I'm coming from? I think we might have a deflationary period next year. Because in order for it to go down, you have to have a minus, right? Then you have like maybe five. For, so, yes. So I do think CPI or medium-term inflation it's somewhat too skewed to the bearish side. People think it's going to be high. I don't think it's going to be that high. But long-term, in the next 10, 15 years, I'm actually quite cautious. As in, I don't think we're going to have that zero again. Just because um, we have a country that the cost of production will go high. And internet still remains true, though. I still think technology would have been the greatest deflationary force ever um, and uh, has always been. So we'll see what new technology takes us. But... In general, uh, and and again, if this works, if this works, we fly less, we we drive less, we use less less energy, for a fact. So meetings, virtual, all that. So um, that's the definition of force. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. So a lot, a lot there. I gave you all I got on Marco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're good. We're good. Hello? We're good. It was like a temporary haircut. Are you here? Yes. Yeah, we're good. We're good. It was like a 10-second hiccup on the website. We're good. Yeah. We're good. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Hey, James. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh. Can you hear me? No. Okay. Um. Can you hear me?